0: And so please follow along as I read out loud. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child... Would you pray with me once again? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you've shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. We pray this morning that through your word, by your spirit, you teach us more about that love and you'd help us to live in light of that love. Help us help us to love you, God, to love one another pray that your spirit would speak through me and that your spirit would open our hearts to receive what you have for us. Make your make your word clear to us, God. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. I have been really nice to you guys. You're welcome. I have shown great restraint. All these sermons about love, love in the Little C Church. And I've been using these really plain, boring titles of my sermons. Do you realize how many popular songs there are out there about love? Do you realize how I could use those titles in my sermons to be super clever and awesome? I mean, all you need is love. Would have been a great title. Maybe, maybe a picture of like the Beatles with, their, with uh, elders' faces kind of plastered over them, Redeemer elders. Or I could have, I could have changed the Frozen song to, uh, to Love is an Open Door through which every Christian should walk. <laughs> or loving you ain't easy because you're not always beautiful. But I do be do be do do <laughs> These were just ripe for the picking, but I resisted. So you're welcome. I could have even done it today. I could have used endless love. I could have used when I fall in love with the local church, it will be Forever. <laughs> I could have used some gif of Whitney Houston singing, and I will always love you, to a picture of a local church. (laughs) I could have done that, but I didn't. I could have, though, because it actually fits really well with what Paul's talking about in our passage. In in verse 8, he says, love never ends. Now, Paul isn't talking about romantic love like these songs are talking about. He's talking about the kind of love that's found in a local church, like here. He's trying to help the Corinthians see how much more superior love is compared with spiritual gifts. That's gifts, not gifts. Uh, Spiritual gifts are gifts that God, through the Holy Spirit, gives to Christians. Christians are meant to exercise these gifts for the good of others, to point people to Jesus, to build them up in their faith. The Corinthians thought that spiritual gifts were superior to love especially the gifts of tongues and the gift of knowledge. Uh, the gift of tongues, uh, when the Holy Spirit would kind of uh, empower people to speak unknown messages in, in heavenly languages, or the gift of knowledge that was some kind of spirit-given spiritual message or teaching. The Corinthians especially valued these gifts. They, there was an impressiveness to these gifts. They seemed otherworldly. The one who received such gifts would stand out from among the others in the church. I mean, people could see and hear. Look what, what, the, look what that person is doing. They, would, they could appear more spiritual or deep, wise, maybe more in touch with heaven. I mean, it was a heavenly language after all. The Corinthians really wanted these gifts. They wanted them to feed their pride. And, and that showed Paul that they had elevated the gifts above love. They forgot that loving God and one another was far more important and it was the end to which these gifts were given to accomplish. I mean, these gifts were given so that we would love God, so that we would love others. So Paul helps these Christians see the superiority of love in our passage. Love is far more spiritual than gifts, he says, because gifts expire and love does not Love never ends, or another way to say that is love never fails or never falls. But these spiritual gifts will. These gifts serve a temporary function. They're to build the church up and to point people to Christ. But there's coming a day when Jesus will return and all people will see his glory and he will gather his church and glorify her. All things will be made perfect. And when all things are perfect, spiritual gifts Tongues knowledge even prophecy, which Paul seems to kind of prefer they won't be around But love will paul saying it never ends Even in heaven. We will love we will love god. We will love each other God will love us And there won't be a spiritual gift in sight So love is superior Paul then follows us up with two practical examples. He's such a good preacher. Uh, the first is, is an example about a child and an adult. As a child, Paul says, you do child stuff. You, you crawl. You drink milk exclusively. You eventually speak in a limited way. You have these little sweet, simple child thoughts. But when you grow up, you leave all those childish things behind. In this example, the childish things are the gifts, and the adult thing is love. Now, he's not bashing spiritual gifts. He's just saying that they don't compare to love. Then he gives another example. The Corinthians were really well known for making these really great mirrors. Paul says, even looking in one of your incredible mirrors is still not the same as looking at someone face-to-face. One scholar said for us it would be the difference between looking at a really great clear photo of somebody And then having them over for coffee and seeing them sitting beside you It's just one's good, but it doesn't compare to the other And that's what it's like with these gifts Yes, god communicates with people through these gifts, but it's a partial message Received indirectly like a home video or something like that at christ's return. However, we'll have no more need for indirect communication because he will speak to us directly. That's what Paul means with this phrase face-to-face. Face-to-face literally means mouth-to-mouth. And it's the phrase that is used in the book of Numbers to describe the way God communicated with Moses, this kind of special revelatory way. We will have that kind of intimacy... With the God of the universe, someday. We will know God to the same depths to which he knows us. So these good spiritual gifts, they will no longer be necessary. We won't need this kind of indirect communication. In verse 13, Paul names two other aspects of the Christian life that are greater than gifts. He says, faith, hope, and love abide these three. Faith, hope, and love. This was like a common trio in Paul's writing. Paul uses them as the foil to the Corinthian trio of tongues, knowledge, and prophecy. So he's kind of saying three for three. Uh, and, and, and these are all superior to, to, to gifts. Not just love. Faith and hope also will abide, Paul says. Now, they'll change a bit when the perfect comes. Our faith will be sight. Our hope will be confirmed, but they will still abide along with love. Scholars say that these three words became to be used to describe the whole of the Christian life. And no spiritual gift is included in that description. Faith, hope, and love are greater than gifts. And greater still is love. Well, why is love the greatest? Well, it's like What Paul said in verses 1 through 3, without self-sacrificing love, even faith becomes nothing. Gifts become noise. Good deeds bring no gain. Without the self-sacrificing love of Christ, what reason would we have to hope? If we don't really practice self-sacrificing love for others, if if self-sacrificing love isn't being made manifest in our lives, our faith proves false. So the Bible says, it's like what John wrote in 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then End of that verse is, a, is another reason why love is so vital, so superior. Um, sorry, sorry. at the end of, of what I just read in verse 8 of 1 John 4, there's, a, there's another reason why love is so vital and so superior. God himself is love. That's what John said. Of course there will be love in the perfect because the perfect creator and sustainer of all things is himself love. It's it's not just a passing concept that christians need to keep to get along to make the world endurable It's part of the nature of god It's what will mark our relationship To him and and with others for the rest of eternity Love never ends The greatest of these Is love So what should we do with this passage about love? What does god want us to hear from his word today? And 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 how should what we hear come to bear on our lives? You know, what what should we believe about this? What should we do with this? To help answer those questions, I want us to look at four key phrases from this passage and then think about each one a bit more deeply. So phrase number one love never ends. Love never ends. Paul's main point with this phrase is that love will continue even in heaven. But let's think about that truth in, in light of a few other things God has said about love and his word. God has shown incredible love to us in Christ. Paul writes this in Romans 5, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died to forgive our sins, to reconcile us to God. This love that God has shown us and the promises that God has lovingly made to us in Christ will never fail. Paul writes in Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus' atoning sacrifice that God lovingly gifted to you when you believed in the Lord Jesus, it will not fail. It will not cease to be effective. It will not expire. It will not pass away. It's sure, it's lasting, it's eternal. God's loving promises to be steadfast and faithful and sovereign. To hear our prayers in Christ. To work all things for our good. They will not fail. And this is good news for fallible people like us. Whose love often does fail. God is different from us. He is love. He will remain true to his nature. He will continue to show us merciful love in Christ. And... Our love for God and our love for others never ends. By that I mean, in heaven, we will continue to self sacrificially love God and love others, but in a much better way than we do right now. Now we love imperfectly. It's difficult for us to follow Paul's commands in this passage to love like God loves us, to be gracious, to be self sacrificing, to seek the good of others, to be patient, to be kind. To believe and bear and hope and endure all things. It's because we're sinful, right? This is difficult. We're like the Corinthians. We often don't value this kind of love. But in heaven, our love will never fail. God will change our hearts in such a way that we will fully love him and fully love each other. But while we wait for that day, God still calls us with the help of his spirit to labor imperfectly toward love even today And if we're going to do that well We have to remind ourselves of a second phrase from this passage The greatest of these is love That's our second phrase The greatest of these is love The call for us to self-sacrificially love God and others That, sums, that kind of sums up All of our other commands that god has given us in scripture Love is the most important aspect of the christian life even more than faith and hope If we neglect the call to love Then all other aspects of our christian lives they'll come crashing down The greatest of these is love But but we often forget that We often position other things above love We can do this with with sinful things that god prohibits about love we can even do this with good things. We can think that some good gifts are the greatest. When we do that, we poison those good gifts. We twist them into bad things, and we use them to accomplish bad ends. I have an imperfect analogy. Sorry, nerd alert. Um, it's the. It's kind of like the way Tolkien describes great rings in The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, this is going to be a long nerd alert. Uh, Elvin... <laughs> So in Tolkien's work, elven smiths, they made these things called great rings. These rings would make the one who wears them exceptionally able to acquire their desires. Some used these rings towards selfish, loving ends. I mean, men used the rings to acquire power. Dwarves used the rings to gain wealth. And in this lovelessness, these rings were used toward evil ends. And their wearers were eventually corrupted by Tolkien's personification of loveless evil, Sauron. But the elves cautiously sought to use the rings toward loving ends, to acquire wisdom, to help others, to lead well. This loving perspective keeps them from being corrupted and pursuing evil ends. Now, if you press this analogy too far, it begins to break down and I want to get back to 1 Corinthians because I don't want you to think that I'm equating God with Sauron. I'm not. So back in 1 Corinthians, God had given believers spiritual gifts. They were good things. They were meant to be exercised in a loving way, to point others to Christ and to build them up. But the Corinthians, because of a lack of love, used these gifts towards selfish and prideful ends. And this led to bad things, division, envy, envy. Unruly worship, even self-worship. Now, it's important to note that tongues and, and knowledge are mentioned in our passage, but those are just those are just the things that that the Corinthian church happened to really struggle with what they pursued without love. But we're tempted to pursue all kinds of things without love, sex, possessions, education, work, relationships, physical health, productivity, spiritual disciplines, a gospel-centered church culture. There are a ton of good things that we are tempted to pursue without love. And by pursuing them lovelessly, I mean that we can engage in them in a way that is detached from love for God or, or love for others. So with sex, for instance, we pursue sex lovelessly when we disregard God's good design for sex or if we ignore the restrictions he's given us about it. The good gift of sex becomes poisoned without a love for God, respect for him. Or with work, we pursue work lovelessly when we neglect our families and we start stepping on other people to get ahead. The good gift of work becomes poisoned without love for others. So when pursuing these good things, we have to work really hard at pursuing them with love and using them out of love. So, so wait, what's that? You want to know if I can give you a practical example of a gift that we might value over love? And you want me to think about some steps we can take to remember that love is the greatest? Well, sure. I'm so glad you asked that. Invisible personified segue. I'm happy. I'm happy to do that. I could give millions of examples of ways that we might do this. But I want us to think about one, one example of a good thing that we might pursue lovelessly that might become particularly relevant to us in this upcoming year. How about political involvement? We believe that political involvement can be a good thing. At the missionary church's last general conference, an article was proposed that states... God has providentially placed his people within cultures to exert a redemptive influence. Where Christians have been entrusted with the gift of participatory government, Christians are encouraged to take part. This may include engaging in civil discourse, voting and seeking office at every government level. In doing so, believers promote the common good and bring the light of the gospel ...and the influence of biblical principles into the public sphere. Political involvement can be a good thing. It can produce good ends. During this next election year, it could be a really good thing for you to be involved... ...provided that you remember that love is the greatest. Because if we lose sight of that... ...and think that political ideals or political camps are the greatest then we'll poison this good opportunity and produce bad fruit. If we think political involvement is the greatest, we might start despising people who disagree with us. We might treat political disagreements as theological heresy. We might determine that someone isn't a Christian simply by who they vote for in 2020. Or we might treat our favorite presidential candidate like God. We might trust in them most to bring peace and blessing. Or as a church, elevating political engagement above love can start to poison our gospel witness. Jonathan Lehman, in his book, How the Nations Rage, says that as a church, we value political involvement above love when we publicly endorse a political party or candidates. He writes, when a church does this, it effectively ties the name of Jesus to that party and subverts the mission of the church to being a branch of that party. Non-Christians will begin to view that church as a lobbying wing of a party and Christians as political operatives for that party. So this is obviously a bad thing. So how can we see if, if we are guilty? How can we see if we've... We've elevated political involvement above love. Well, you can try this thought experiment. Would you personally feel a greater affinity for a person you know is a Christian who's on the other side of the political aisle or an atheist who shares your views on climate change and gun control? If your answer is yes, then you might have elevated politics above love. Or if your gut reaction is to think, that this thought experiment's useless because there clearly aren't any Christians on the other side of the political aisle, then you've probably elevated politics above love. Don't let our political system shape you like that. Remember, love is the greatest. And remember that in this passage, Paul is especially talking about love in the local church. So a way forward for us this next year has to be that we are committed to loving the people in our local church more than our political allies. After all, the bonds we have with believers in this church, they are much deeper than the bond that you have with your political party. I mean, to paraphrase Paul, there is now neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, man nor woman, Democrat nor Republican, for we are all one in Christ. Christ. God has uniquely united each of us in Christ when we are believers. As believers, we become brothers and sisters in the Lord. We have one Savior, the Lord Jesus. We have one mission to glorify God and make him known. We are one body with many members. This bond has to mean more to us than our political ties. Our, one, our love for one another must not fail because of who someone votes for in 2020 don't let politics drive unnecessary wedges between you and the person sitting next to you. Hopefully it's not your spouse. Hopefully you're kind of united. Anyway, um, when a person, so, so with this in mind, with this desire to pursue love, when a person in your care group gets a bit too political and you feel your heart start to beat, remind yourself that they are your brother and sister in Christ and that you are eternally tied to them. Or when someone's social media post is starting to make your blood boil, remind yourself that you are both members of the same body and that you're called to love one another. After doing that, you might just want to let things slide. Or you might want to speak up and and share why you disagree. You might even feel the need to correct an error. But if you remember that loving them is the greatest, you'll do it with care for the person's well-being with respect for their convictions, with an openness that you might be wrong, with an aim to communicate in such a way that you won't be embarrassed to pray with them later about something else or share communion with them. Remember, love, the greatest of these is love. Let's look at our third phrase. The partial will one day give way to the perfect. The partial will one day give way to the perfect. In verse 10, Paul says that when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. He's mainly arguing that spiritual gifts are temporary and inferior to love, but that's not all he's saying. He is stating a fact about the future of all things. The partial will pass away. The perfect will come. This is the best spoiler in the history of mankind. This is a promise of the second coming of Christ. And at his second coming, Jesus will perfect this world. He will destroy evil, sin, death, Satan. He will perfect his church. We will have no more need for spiritual gifts because we will, we will be completely built up the curse of sin that we all toil under that will one day be gone. We won't feel that twinge of guilt and shame after sinning. We won't struggle with depression or anxiety. We won't be worried about what tomorrow holds. We won't have another sobering conversation with the doctor. We won't feel the sadness of missing the lost loved one. This world will one day be as God intended it to be. We will one day be as God intended us to be. The partial will pass away. The perfect will come. And and we're supposed to keep this glorious perfection, the perfect that is coming in sight. And by doing that, this will help us live well in the partial. That's what Paul does for the Corinthians in our passage. He, in our passage, he's saying, love now because you will love then. He's helping them have a, a then kind of perspective. And with that then perspective, we can take stock of how we're living today in light of the reality of the perfect that is coming. So how about you? How should the glorious future reality of heaven shape how you live today? Maybe you need to be challenged that you're living for partial realities instead of perfect ones. Maybe you're living as if partial things are really perfect. Maybe your pursuit of partial things is causing you to neglect perfect things like love. Maybe you need to be reminded of Jesus's words in Matthew 6. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The perfect is coming. Those partial things that you're so focused on, they will pass away. So instead, pursue love, Paul says. Treasure love it will not pass away or maybe you need to be reminded that the perfect is coming for other reasons you know the apostles especially in the new testament teach us frequently that this coming future reality it should be a source of hope for christians in the present especially christians that are in the midst of suffering maybe you're here today and you feel like you're drowning you're overwhelmed you're scared You're tired. Here the Apostle Paul's, what he says in in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Maybe you need to be encouraged to hold fast to Christ in the midst of your suffering. To set your eyes ahead to the perfect that will come. And be encouraged that this partial sin-cursed existence, it will pass away. Whatever season of life you find yourself in today, remember that. It's partial. So live in light of the perfect. Lastly, let's look at phrase number four. The fourth phrase that I want to highlight from today's passage. It's kind of a, kind of a joining of two phrases. You are fully known and one day you will be face to face. You are fully known and one day you will be face to face. These two realities mean different things to you today, depending on if you're a Christian or if you're not. So I'll talk to the Christians first. You are fully known by the God of the universe. Jesus said he knows the number of hairs on your head. The writer of Psalm 94 says that God knows your inner thoughts. In Acts 1, we read that God knows the hearts of all. As a Christian, this should encourage you. God knows you don't let that cause you to squirm or worry because he still though he knows you longs for you to be with him and in Christ he has made provision for every one of your secret sins and the waywardness of your heart that he knows he made provision for that through Christ Jesus died in your place and rose from the dead to atone for your sin and give you new life in him. He sent God sent the spirit to dwell inside you and to keep you for himself to sanctify you for him And one day He will gather you to himself and you will stand before him face to face He will look on you and see christ's finished work on your behalf And you will dwell with him forever in a face-to-face way like moses on sinai Then you will fully know even as you have been fully known. If you aren't a Christian, you are fully known by the God of the universe. Jesus said he knows the numbers of hairs on your head. The writer of Psalm 94 says that God knows your inner thoughts. In Acts 1, we read that God knows the hearts of all, including yours. He sees every secret sin every waywardness in your soul. One day you will stand before him face to face. If you have not believed on the Lord Jesus for your sins, for your salvation, rather, your sins will keep you from dwelling with God. He will cast you away from himself. You'll be doomed to suffer away from God for the rest of eternity. But God desires that you would come to him. That you would be saved from your sin. That you would receive the free gift of forgiveness and reconciliation to him through the Lord Jesus. You don't need to clean up your life before you come to Christ. You simply come as you are. God already knows you. You surrender your life to Christ. You receive his forgiveness. And then God will Slowly begin to change your life so that it looks like Christ. So I call you this morning, if you aren't a believer, to come to Christ, surrender to him, receive his never-ending love and the promise of dwelling with God face to face. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the love that you've shown us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that that love will never fail, God. Although we fail you, you promise to never fail us. Love is who you are. Love is who you've shown yourself to be in Christ. We pray, God, through your spirit that you would reconcile us to yourself through the Lord Jesus. Any here who do not believe, we pray that you would open their eyes, help them to... Realize that one day they will be with you face to face. Help them to see that their only hope is in Christ. God, we pray that you would be with us as believers. We pray that that we would rejoice in this reality of your love. We pray that we would rejoice that there is coming a day when your love will be made perfected around us. That we will experience the new heaven, the new earth with you for all of eternity. We pray that that glorious reality would fill us with hope and and more importantly as Paul says fill us with love Fill us with love for you. God fill us with love for one another We pray especially that you would help us as a local church help us to love each other Well with this chapter in mind, God, we pray that you would help us to work toward that end We humbly acknowledge lord that this is it seems like an almost impossible task for us to do We are so sinful so so torn we pray god that you would help us to that end that you would equip us that you would remind us of your grace that's still there for us your unfailing love that's still there for us even when we fail to love as we ought we ask all these things in the name of the lord jesus we praise you for them god amen amen go in peace you are disp-